You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Happy New Year. Can you believe Christmas is over? It's just two weeks ago, Christmas. You know, when you're like two weeks out from Christmas, you're like, man, Christmas is so close. But then you're just like two days out of Christmas. It feels like it was forever ago, right? I mean, two weeks ago today, we were celebrating Christmas. We didn't have church. It was real cool. It was a fun Weekend, a holiday, you know, it's the greatest time of the year. I love it. But here we are, a new year, a new year, a new day. Uh, and, and what I want to do today is I want to continue what we started talking about last year, and that is the, instead of a New Year's resolutions, let's look at the revolutionary ways that if we launch our year right, that will change our life forever. And today I want to talk to you about uh, the relationships that you have. In fact, uh, the one relationship that's the most important. Um, it's, you know, if you want to have a great new year, it's, a, it's who you know, really. It's about who you know. Um, I mean, there are relationships uh, that, that make or break us, our spouse, our family, our friends. But this one relationship I want to talk about today, if you don't get it right, then everything else will fall apart. Uh, we can have everything, but if this is not right, 2017 will make no sense. We can't get this one wrong. So let's take a look at it. A familiar passage for some of you, Matthew 22. We're going to begin with verse 34, but just kind of a little bit back up of what's going on in that chapter. In that chapter, there's a lot of tension with the religious folks known as the Sadducees and the Pharisees. There were two religious groups. One were like, like the, the record keepers, and the other were like the pastor-type guys. And, and uh, one knew, they both knew the law, which is the word of God, really, really good. And they, they did not like Jesus because he was questioning everything about how they did everything. And uh, Jesus, who is God, was revealing himself and revealing God, and it was contradictory predicting their traditions. So they were always looking for a way to trap Jesus uh, in his words. So they had asked him earlier in that chapter, who and how should they pay taxes, trying to get him on politics. And then they asked him about the resurrection, about the afterlife. He looked at controversial uh, doctrines uh, within their community. And then they asked him about marriage, and they're trying to get to the social issues of of what is a godly marriage. And, uh, you know, we have all these debates going on in our church. And then so they and then they wanted to say, what's the most important thing, Jesus? What's the greatest command? Because we're supposed to love them all. And Jesus says this in Matthew 22, 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, talking to Jesus, who's the greatest, uh, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, you need to realize these Pharisees, there's, we've got God's Ten Commandments, right? Well, there's actually in the Old Testament over 600 commandments. The Ten are just like God's top ten list. And then the Pharisees added on another 300 traditional laws that if you didn't do those, you were not a friend of God. So of the nearly thousand laws, They said, Jesus, what is the greatest? And this is what Jesus replied. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. That means it's equal to it. They they go hand in hand. Loving the Lord, it says, goes hand in hand with this, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these 
to commandments. So everything you need to know about in the Word of God, everything there is to know hangs on these two that go hand in hand. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and Luke says strength, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. They go hand in hand. Now, in this, Jesus clearly tells us who the most important relationship in our life is. It's the Lord God. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then everybody else, our neighbor. Everybody. Who's your neighbor? It's not only uh, your neighbor across the street from you at the house, but it's also the, the guy across the cubicle from you. It's the person across the aisle from you. It's your husband. It's your wife. It's your kids. Any relationship after the Lord, okay? So the Bible clearly paints a picture of God who is a loving father. God is not an abstract force. He's not the man upstairs. He's not the big guy. He's not a jukebox. God is not a candy machine. He's not some kind of Santa Claus. God is not a police officer ready to pull you over or a teacher ready to slap your wrist. Jesus gives us a picture of the father who is a loving dad to his kids. The infinite creator is intimate with his creation through Jesus. This is what Isaiah 57, 15 says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in the high and holy place. Now, first of all, he says, man, the God of all creation, the exalted one, the high and lifted up, the one who is forever and ever omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. That means he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's all—he's uh, present everywhere. He's present, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere all at once. This God who knows everything, who's holy, that means he's good all the time. Even when the world feels like it's going to crazy town, God is good. He says, all of this, he's high and exalted. Man, he is so far above us, and so we are so far below him that it's hard to comprehend this next part. He says, I live in a high and holy place beyond the scope of time and eternity, but also with the one who's contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So he's not just this... God who's out there. He's a God who's in here to the humble and the broken through Jesus Christ. Jesus was not born to start a religion. He was born to start a family. See, Jesus, who is God of all eternity, became a man not to start a new religion, but to start a family. And this is something we need to realize going into 2017 is that everything that we are talking about today, church is not about religion. It's not about rules. It's not about commandments or laws. It is about a relationship with your father. It's about family. God is not about being a part of religion, but a family. This was so radical to those Pharisees and those Sadducees. Jesus taught God was not even, uh, the, the Jews taught that God was not even allowed to be mentioned by name. They couldn't even say his name. In fact, they took out his name in all of the Bible and replaced it with a substitute name. The name of God is Yahweh, but in all of the translations, all the copies of the Bible, they changed the name to Yehovah, 
where we get the word Jehovah. The word Jehovah is not the name of God. It is the transliteration of the name of Yahweh, which means God the light. Now, they are doing this because out of respect, they felt they couldn't even say his name. In fact, if you were some of the Orthodox Jews today, when they write the word God, they do, they do G-D. They won't even write the word God because they have this sense of fear. But Jesus not only says, can we know him, but he says that we can know him by his name, Jesus, and call him our daddy. See, Jesus came to settle the relationship issue with us and God. Religion or relationship, what's the difference, what it means? Many claim to have a walk with God, especially here in the South. I think a vast number of people in Texas and in the South have a false faith and a false assurance of their salvation because they have religion. I mean, in our culture, many people attend a church, they sign a card, they adopt a belief system, but it's empty religion and it's not life transformation relationship. So what is the difference between religion and relationship? Well, religion is marked by these things. Uh, You can take these down in your notes. Religion is marked by an emphasis on rules and rituals. What do I need to do to get to God? How many times do I need to come to church? Uh, How many times do I need to bow? How many prayers do I need to say of this? And it's it's a ritual. It's liturgy. Now, sometimes tradition and liturgy can be beautiful, but that's not what our faith is based upon. And when that becomes some sort of turnkey for your walk with God, then you have just entered religion. Because it emphasizes rules, regulations, legalism, and rituals. It's also about creating clones. It's about um, how you need to look, how you need to dress. You know, everybody, you know, some churches, they, they, they expect Christians to all look the same. Have all the same haircut. You know, dress a certain way or not have a certain number of tattoos or body piercings and what are the ways I need to look and act? That's a lot of, that's a question a lot of people ask when they start going to church. Well, you've just entered the religion zone. Another one, uh, religion is marked by appeasing God. This, this sense that somehow God is unhappy with me and what's the formula to make him happy? What can I do? To, to make God not mad at me or be okay or get my ticket to heaven, that's religion. And then another mark of religion is that it's self-centered. It's really about what I can get out of it. How can God fix this or repair this? How can I get my car or my job or, you know, or get my life together? It's all about my blessing and my benefit. That is religion where you're trying to manipulate God for your favor. See, that, that is what religion looks like, and that's not what Jesus came for. He came for relationship. Now, the question is, what does a relationship with God look like? Does it mean that you hear an audible voice? Does it mean that you have some sort of epiphany where you just, I get it. I woke up. I realized an aha moment. Do you get a revelation? Do you have an illumination? Or is it when you experience a miracle or see something that, no, none of those are what a relationship with God is. A relationship with God is simply knowing this. It's knowing that God is close, God is involved, and God is good. That is what a relationship with God is about. God is close. That God knows and cares for you personally. He's not distant. That God is involved. He listens and responds to you personally. And that God is good. He directs and guides you personally for his good, even when life doesn't look good. You see, all of this is about 
who you know. But over time, we tend to substitute relationship with religion because it's easier to, to follow a formula than to die to yourself. It's easier to follow rules and jump through hoops, but our efforts, our best efforts can never make God happy because we have a sin problem, and our sin separates us from God, but Jesus came to, to, to clear the way so that we could have a family with him. So let's have a New Year's Starbucks conversation today. Imagine it's just you and me sitting down at your favorite coffee shop talking. So let's get your coffee, pull up a chair, and let's, we got to get this one right. So I'm going to kind of hit these real quick, how to have a great relationship with God this year. Here we go. Number one, know the real Jesus. The only way to know that God is close involved and good is to know Jesus, the real Jesus. You see, there are a lot of religions out there that try to tell you who Jesus is and what he's like. There's a lot of, you know, television specials and documentaries. There's a lot of books. There's even a lot of churches, and they're not Christian churches, all of them, but there's a lot of places out there that try to tell you who Jesus is, the real Jesus. Jesus says this in John 14, 6. Jesus said, this is our theme verse for our church, and so this is the key to, to what our church stands upon. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now the question, who is that me? Is he Jesus, the creator, or Jesus who was created? Is he the man only Jesus, or is he the God-man Jesus? Is he one of many sons of God Jesus, or is he the only one-of-a-kind son of God Jesus? Is he near, merely just a prophet who is Jesus, or is he the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior Jesus. You see, we have a decision to make right off the top of the year. If you want to know God, you need to know the real Jesus. What you believe about Jesus matters. There are different views. There's the Mormon view, the, the Jehovah's Witness view, the Quran view, the Hindu view. They all have an opinion on Jesus. There are false teachers out there only the real one brings us to God. You see, it matters who Jesus is biblically. It matters who Jesus is historically. It matters who Jesus is doctrinally. It matters who Jesus is personally. The real Jesus, according to the Bible, he is God in the flesh, the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. The creator of all the universe stepped into his creation, took on flesh and blood, lived a sinless life for our sins, and died on a cross that should have been ours so that we wouldn't have to bear that cross, was buried and rose again from the dead to set us free from our sins and to give us our resurrection from the dead. See, Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but to help the dead become alive again. Not for religion, but for a family. Here's the second thing you need to realize if you want to have a great relationship with God this year. Is number two is don't put God first. Put him in the center. This is a huge, huge deal. Uh, don't try to put God first on a list. 
Put him in the middle of everything that you do. He's not meant to be number one on the list of things to do. Let me put it this way. I have a pair of glasses, and, and, and my, my, my eyes are like changing. It's, I'm, I'm 47, okay? And when I hit like 42, my eyes were like, like haywire. I wore glasses pretty much my whole life. But when you hit 40, how many of you guys are in your 40s or you've hit 40, you're in the 50s or 60s, right? How many of you guys remember, even some of you that never wore glasses, all of a sudden you hit 40, you're like, you're like, you're looking at stuff like this. Then where's the sweet spot? Boom, there it is. And then eventually it gets further and further. You know, something happens at 40. It's got 40 eyes and your eyes just go haywire. So I wear glasses. Now, without my glasses, you all look beautiful. With my glasses, some of you look beautiful. Brooch. Because, yeah, I have a different, <laughs> better vision with my glasses. No, you're all beautiful, every one of you. Uh, now, I put my glasses on. Now, here's the deal. Our life is like this, and Jesus is this. This is what happens. The Bible says this, Matthew 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom. That means keep him the focus of your pursuits, like a lens. Seek first, look at your life through the lens of Jesus and his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things in life that you worry and stress about will be given to you as well. See, here's what we tend to do. We tend to make God an issue on a list of things. Church, check. Uh, maybe if you're trying to grow, you might do prayer, check, read your Bible for a chapter, check maybe a couple times a week, and then you're like you're on your own. And you you compartmentalize God from your everyday life. And what God says is, I want you to look at your life, every aspect of your life, through me. In, in biblical studies, it's called a biblical worldview. That means you look at the world through the view or through the lens of God, through the lens of not just any God, but the biblical God, through Jesus, through the word of God. And it says, seek first the kingdom. Don't make him a part of your list. Put him at the center of everything you do. We think, pray, check, read the Bible, check. Now it's my time. The issue is, are we ever really done with God? God is not first. He encompasses every area of our life, your marriage, your friendships, your job, your home. They would all be different if you had Jesus at the center of it all. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do, Everything in life, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That means taking that test. That means stocking those shelves. That means filing those folders. That means waiting tables and digging that ditch or running that course or mowing the lawn. We do it all in Jesus' name, through Jesus, for Jesus, by Jesus, through the lens. Our life is through the lens of Jesus. He says, whatever you do, verse 23, whatever you do, work it all with all of your heart, as working for the Lord. You see, we tend to have two boxes in life. We tend to have a secular box and we have a spiritual box. Now, just to kind of show you some of the things I have in, in these boxes, this is what we tend, we have, we have the God box, all right? Uh, we, have, we have the Bible, you know, go to church, 
Yeah, I got my God box over here, and I got my volunteer church, my Living Way volunteer church. We're going to volunteer every now and then. You know, the youth have a mission trip in a couple weeks in Arlington. Uh, Sean's going to tell you about it in a little bit. But you know what? Yeah, I got that in my God box, right? And then, uh, you know, some of you, you you think, hey, you put your family in there. All right, put my family. Yeah, get my family, for the most part, to God. All right, it's most of you. So that's, that's many of your God box. And then you come in on Sunday, got my God box, Ted, where's my seat? Hey, you're in my seat, move it, right? So this is where I always sit, doesn't have your name on it, and you know, but you're going to put one at the new place, right? So um, this is my seat, okay, you, and then you go home and you like maybe throw it in your trunk or you put it in, the, in your bedroom and then your life begins on Sunday afternoon and Monday, see, got my movies here and I uh, got my... Star Wars puzzle. Yeah, that was a gift for Christmas. Um, got my checkbook because you know what? <laughs> that money, God does not have my money. My money is mine, right? And you got my video games. Um, let's see, you got my, got my boom speaker because my music is mine, God. Sorry, you can't have that. Uh, what else? Got my laptop. Whoop. Yep. Work and, well, the stuff that God shouldn't know about. All right. Got all that. Let's see. I got my band concerts because God, you don't go with me to concerts. You know, those are on me. Uh, got my medicine because my health is my concern, not God's. I mean, I take care of myself, God. Thanks, but, you know, only when I'm really, really bad do I do, I do this. It's, it's only every now and then. So, um, and then got my pets. The pets, God doesn't really want my dog, so, so I'll put that. And I got my household chores. You know, I fixed a, a faucet in my bathroom yesterday. I feel very manly because it, it works. <laughs> I only had to go Home Depot once for the part that I was looking for, so that's good. Success. But that's mine, God, so that's all on me. Uh, thank you, Ted. Um, and, you know, my food, my eating habits, this is my grill, and this is a spoon that represents our food. That's all on me, God. And, and, you know, our recreation, where we're running, athletics, sports, whatever. So this is my secular box, and, uh, you know, uh, that's all the things that God doesn't really care too much about. So um, that's all good, God. Oh, it's church again, Sunday again. Woo, yeah, I don't feel so good. God, can you touch my body and heal me? I feel pretty good today. That's on me today. So, so that's kind of how we compartmentalize our life. We tend to have the spiritual box and we have our secular box or our non-spiritual box, and, and we often think that that's okay, and that's not how God designed our life to be. In fact, this is what the scripture calls us to do. The scripture says, God says he wants it all, so, you know, he wants everything about our life. He wants our activities and our music and our work and our recreation and our movies and our, God wants our video games and our pets and our health and he wants our checkbook, and he wants our music and, and entertainment. He wants our, our hobbies and our sports. He wants our food. See, this is where God calls us to be is right there. He wants us to have all, all of these in his hand. See, it, to a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no, there is no spiritual uh, and secular difference. There is no secular box to God. When you bow the knee to Jesus... We seek first the kingdom of God. We look at our life through the lens of the kingdom of God and through the lens of God's righteousness, and then everything changes when we do that. So I have a question for you, and that is, is God in the middle, or do you 
compartmentalize him. Here's the third thing. Beware of empty rituals. I'm just going to fly over this one. Beware of substituting empty rituals for a genuine relationship. You know, baptism, a mission trip, volunteering, serving, going to church, these can all be good, but they can't cover up a messed up heart. These are not the things that ever should substitute our relationship with God. These are reflections or response to that relationship. They're not a substitute. Baptism, I'm going to tell you something, does not mean you're saved. A relationship with Jesus is a relationship with God. Baptism is a response to that relationship. It doesn't mark the beginning or seal the deal. It is a response to that relationship. Mission work and serving, going to church, these are all a response to that walk with God as we seek first his idea of life through our eyes, uh, through his lens, rather. Um, Samuel tells us a great story in 1 Samuel 15. You can read it later on. But he talks about how in an effort to, to honor God, they disobeyed him in a whole bunch of other areas. And God corners them and judges them and disciplines them. And he says in, in, the, in the famous chapter, it's better to obey than to sacrifice. We think, man, God, I'm sacrificing my Sunday afternoon so I can live like hell the rest of the week. God, I'm waking up early on a Sunday morning so I can go crazy on Saturday night. And we think somehow because we're sacrificing some of our money or some of our time or some of our energy for God's kingdom that somehow we've filled the debt of our problem. And you see, the problem is not something you can remedy. It's only through the family. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's only through who you know. But we often, when we do that, we enter the role of rituals and religion. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 to 3 says that you have amazing spiritual gifts. You can even have all knowledge and sacrifice and give prophecy and do great things. But if you don't have the love of God, you are nothing. Uh, Colossians 2.20 says this, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still... Uh, as though you still belong to it. Why do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom and their self-imposed worship. That means they look like you're good with God. They, I mean, there are people that are lost going on mission trips this weekend. There are people that are lost that are getting dunked in baptisms every other weekend. There are people that are lost in this room. You look good, but you have this appearance of righteousness, appearance of wisdom. You have this self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. That means you deny yourself certain stuff, you know, to honor God. Uh, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. That means in your heart, you're still all messed up. Because this is not about how you can change the outside. It's about how God can change you from the inside and we respond to that on the outside. You can't get to God from the outside in. It's an inside job. And this is the challenge of rituals. Rituals produce mafia Christians. Mafia Christians, you know, it's as, as long as you love your mama and pray in church, you can knock off people during the week. You see those guys in the movies, they're like, man, they're praying, they're going to confession, they're doing the, you know, the sign of the cross, and they're kissing their mom on the cheeks, and then they're, they're whacking somebody, right, on the weekend, and it's like, or on the, during the week. The, on the outside, you look good, 
But Jesus knows what's going on on the inside, and he is not fooled with you. He desires our life, not our rituals. So I have a question for you. What is the motivation for your walk with God? Here's the fourth thing, and this is, this is something for all of us here, and that is find your rhythm. Find your rhythm. See, there are many speakers, there are many preachers, many authors that tell us what we need to do to get close with God. Formulas for growth, a retreat by a lake, a journal, fasting, early prayer for an hour. Now, these things can all be God, but realize my rhythm is not your rhythm and your rhythm is not my rhythm. Romans 14, 4 says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? For to his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. He who gives thanks to God, he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Paul goes on and on saying, don't judge people for their personal convictions. Don't pass judgment on another's journey. Instead, clear the path. Don't cause them to stumble. Then it says this in 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep yourself, keep it between yourself and God. That means don't impose your convictions on me and I won't for you. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. That means based upon your own opinion. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Meaning uh, I'm gonna have different convictions about certain things than you. All right, on our staff, we have different convictions about different things. Now, there are what are called house rules in the kingdom of God. Those house rules are not debatable. Those house rules of the kingdom of God are, are things like holy living, like abstaining from sexual impurity, you know, uh, not being a hateful, spiteful, sourpuss, you know, bad attitude, hateful person. Uh, there are certain house rules on how we treat each other and how we ought to act, how we ought to live. There are house rules that are clear. For example, a house rule on alcohol is don't get drunk. But for me, my conviction is, is I don't drink at all. That's my conviction. I'm not going to tell you you can't drink. But I will tell you the house rule is don't get drunk. Now, if you struggle with not getting drunk, then maybe you should make that conviction not to drink. See, that's what it's saying here. I choose not to drink because of the conviction that God gives me and in the role that I am in and for my family and for myself. But the house rule is don't get drunk. There are house rules and then there are personal convictions. A few thoughts when we assume that the way we serve is the same way for all mature people when they finally grow up. See, some of you are like, <laughs> I'm more mature than this guy. I'll let it fly. But when he matures or when she matures, she's going to look just like me. These are the things that we tend to do. We tend to, first of all, we tend to gift project. That means if you want to be mature, you have to be able to speak like me, witness like me, read your Bible as much as me. You have to serve like me. You have to go on mission trips like me. It's called gift projecting. We all have different gifts and unique abilities, 
and we're not all the same, and we all have different desires and plan for God, uh, from God. Uh, another thing we tend to do is we tend to turn tools into rules. Uh, you must journal. You must get up early and pray. You must fast. Well, I fast all the time, so that means you must fast all the time. When you're mature like me, you will fast as much as me. Um, and you'll think, well, you know, if you really want a healthy marriage, you have to do this, this, and this in your marriage like me. And what we're doing is we're turning tools into rules. When we do that, we become religious Pharisees. Another thing we tend to do is we tend to turn liberty into laziness. You see, the Bible says the church is not what saves us, but the church is part of God's plan for our life. So that liberty is, it's not a rule that we must follow. But there's liberty there, but it's a freedom that God has called us to be a participant in. But when we feel like, ah, church is not a big deal, and we skip church, we turn that liberty into laziness. I can live how I want because I'm saved by God's grace, not by my actions. Well, that's turning liberty into sinfulness. We are not to neglect the house rules. Here's a sample of Romans 14, 19. says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. That means encouraging each other. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. You have liberty, but there's a house rule, and that is if it's causing another to stumble, it becomes a sin. See that? This is the, these are house rules. With this said, we still have house rules. Like 1 John says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands, the commands of Jesus. The man who says, I know him, Jesus, but does not do what he says is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys the word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are his. So I have a question for you. How do you grow close to God? Do that. Find your rhythm this year. Okay? Here's the last one, and that is this. Expect to go through seasons. I wish I was told this as a young Christian. I wish I was told this as a young man. I thought I I would always be on fire. I thought that I would always hear God. You know, when I first gave my life to Christ, I thought I'd always be happy. But when I wasn't, I began to question who God was and if God was real. and, And I began to think, what is wrong with me? Am I still a Christian? I want you to know something. Every person in this room, 2017 may be a season in your life that will be filled with joy or could be a season of pain. In fact, the seasons are a part of life, our weather, times of year, seasons, stages in life, relationships, even our age. We, there are certain stages of our life that is a season of our life. Some of you are in, are in your teen years. That's a season of your life where God wants to do something very specific with you. Some of you are young adults. God wants to do something very specific for you in this season of your life. Some of you are newly married. Some of you are adults and married. Some of you are single again. Some of you are seniors and you're entering the senior years or you've been a senior for a while or you're, or you're a senior and you've lost some that you love. These are seasons of your life and we will have them our entire life. 2 Corinthians 3 says that those in relationship with God will grow and be transformed daily in different and through different seasons. Some days are more significant in growth than others. 1 Corinthians 13 says 
It talks about how growing up spiritually, how we go through life stages. Ephesians 4 says how there are those uh, who are gods who are constantly in a state of change. Hebrews says it's all about how we walk through the seasons of growth at different levels. See, there are three biblical seasons in our life. There are three seasons mentioned in the Bible. We all go through seasons, and these are the three seasons. The first one is this, harvest season, and then wilderness season, and then a trial season. And we're going to be in one of those usually at some point of our life, sometimes multiple times in one year. Harvest season, this is where the new Christians like to hang out. This might be for those of you that are going through a a growth stretch, maybe after camp, after a mission trip, after a retreat. Uh, You know, maybe God's just working. Maybe you got a new house. You know, God's, man, favor, you're excited. You feel like you're on the mountaintop. Things are going well. The world has color. And, you know, there seems to be purpose. You have clarity. You're excited to be alive. The purpose of that season is for growth, understanding, boldness, and fruitfulness. These are the seasons where you have a lot of fruit and you get excited and God's just showing himself mighty. These harvest seasons are special. And then there is the wilderness season. This is when you maybe feel dry, lonely, desperate. You feel forsaken. There's silence from God. This is usually an inner feeling or an inner battle that we have. Sometimes you're battling depression or you're just not hearing God or you're going through a growth, uh, you know, a, a season where you're not growing, where your growth is slowing down. The purpose of this season is to test your faith. It's to help you to die to yourself in learning to obey God and what you know before he moves you on to something new. And sometimes the wilderness season is, a, is one of the great moments of growth in our life where we put to test what God has called us to do. Even when we don't hear God, that's when we can grow the most. And there's the third season, that is the trial season. A severe fire in your life, a spiritual fire, a tragedy, a sickness, a death, a temptation, rejection. A lot of the trials are outward in our life. And the purpose, it brings out our impurities. These are the seasons where bitterness, anger, and pride come to the surface and we see who we are and they make us stronger and they mature us in who we are and they help us to look like Jesus better. See, these seasons of life, I sat in a hospital with my family and some friends last night who are going through a trial season right now with three teenage girls in an accident and one of them died. Friends of my daughters, my daughters are having to really search their souls. This is the first time they've actually felt uh, a, a closeness to someone who was in such a tragic situation like this. And, and it's, it's a trial season. And as they're crying and as, they're, as, they're we, as you're putting your arm around a family member that's bawling and you have no answer at all, all you can do is be strong. You don't know what 2017 will hold for you. It will be a season that will either be a harvest, a wilderness, or a trial. But recognize there are seasons in your life. Jesus often referred to our walk in terms of a farming season, and so did the Apostle Paul. In Galatians 5, Paul says this. In Galatians 6, verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whatever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Sometimes our seasons are a result of poor choices, 
aren't they? Sometimes we make stupid choices, and as a result, we're in a bad season. And then it says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, the, the proper season, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Sometimes our seasons are a result of making wise choices. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. I have a question for you. What season are you in right now? What is your season? I want to end by saying this again. God does not call us to be part of a religion, but a part of a family. See, this is what God wants. He wants our schedules, our events, our activities, the things we carry. He wants them. I have a question for you. See, this is what we tend to do. We either do this. We either take our life and we carry it around everywhere. And this is, we go to work. We're walking in. We sit in the car. We put it in the car next to us. You know, we get it back out and we carry everything that we have in our life around. And, you know, at first it seems pretty heavy, but after a while our arms start to hurt. And after a while, it gets what seemed to be manageable at first, starts to just get weary and heavier and heavier. And all of a sudden, we just, man, I just just don't know if I can. And then sometimes what we do is either we carry it or sometimes we're in a position where uh, it carries us, where we can, you know, where it's kind of taking us where it wants to go. Oh, my schedule says over here. Oh, my day says over here. Oh, this trial over here. And all of a sudden, man, we are just thrown all over the place because it's carrying us everywhere. You see, that's where most of us live. We're either letting our schedules and our life dictate our life and where we're going and what we're doing, or we carry it, and it's just a burden on our life that brings us just heartache and pain and depression and this is what God wants us to do. Can I have somebody run down here real quick? I need a guy. Sean, could you? Well, yeah, Sean, could you come here for a minute? Well, as fast as you can. I know you probably can't hurry. This is what God wants us to do, is he wants us to do this. Sean, he, Sean got hurt this week, and so uh, I'm not going to give him this crate. Come here. What I want you to do is, is what we tend to do is we carry it, but what God wants to do, he wants to carry it. For us and then put his arm around with us. What he wants to do is say, Come on, Sean, I got you, man. I got you. See, and then while he's walking with this, he'll go, Yeah, you probably shouldn't be eating that, man. That's cool. That's cool. I got you, man. It's good. I got you. You know what? You probably, you know, shouldn't be taking these right now, okay? Right? So, and then all, you know, and then God's like, you know what? I want you to change. You probably don't need to go to that show or that concert or, or you know what? He, he basically, what God does is when we give it to him and he carries it for us, we don't have that burden. Jesus says, cast are your cares and burdens on me, right? For I care for you. So we cast our burdens and cares on. It's not meant for us to be carried by them and we're not to carry them. We are called to cast them. You see, and that is what having a father is about. That is what Jesus is about. Thank you, Sean. And uh, as he walks off into the night. This is what 1 Peter 5 says. 
Cast all your anxiety on him for he cares for you. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. See, when Jesus carries the box, he knows what's inside and he begins to pick through and says, yeah, I love you, but stick, stick with me on this one. And, and he begins to wean our life. Romans 8.15, and this is, the, this is the big one. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, which means Daddy, Father. See, this year can be a revolutionary year by who we know. And I want to challenge you this year, Hang out with dad. Hang out with your father in heaven. He knows about you, and dad is good. And dad is involved, and dad is close. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called us to cast our cares on you. And let's do that right now. Maybe you're in a place in your life right now, and you just... You feel like you're carrying more than you can handle. Or maybe you're carrying something that you can handle, but you shouldn't handle. Because the Lord says, I want that too. Stop letting your stuff carry you and stop trying to carry your stuff. And and just walk with me. And trust me, God says. Let our relationship be the key to your new year. So... I want you right where you are just to take a moment and just give Jesus your life. Say, Jesus, here's my life. Jesus, here's everything I have. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. God, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes, God. But you are the redeemer. Forgive me. Here's my life. And then while you're at it, give them the rest of the stuff in your life. God, here's my family. God, here's my marriage. Here's my friends, God. Here's my school. Here's my job. God, here's my hobbies and my recreation. Father, you care about it all. And when I walk with you, Jesus, all of it is a part of your life. God, speak to me on what needs to come and what needs to go in my life. I want this be to be the best year ever with you. Dad, I want to know you better. Father, whatever 2017 holds, whatever trial might come my way, Father, I will trust in you for you care for me. God, whether sickness or loss, bad news and failure, I will trust in you because you're my dad and you're a good dad you're a good father and I'm your son I'm your daughter and father you'll take care of me father we pray for the Hootons this morning be with them as they lost their daughter pray for that her sister, God, we pray that 
she would be healed and whole. We pray for Tristan. God, continue to touch her and heal her. God, we pray healing upon the heart of the Wallers and on the Hoopers. God, there are many more hurting families out there, Jesus. Let them know that you're a good dad, that you're involved and that you care. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.